Are you on edge? Come on. We live in challenging, edgy times, so let's lean in. I'm Sandra Bargeman, the host of The Edge of Every Day, which airs bi-monthly on MaximizeU.life and iTunes. Tune in live with me and my friends and colleagues as we share stories and courageous conversations about pushing boundaries, exploring our rough edges, and walking between the worlds of what is and what is yet to be. Join me, Sandra Bargeman, on the edge of every day on MaximizeU.life. Hello, everyone. I'm Sandra Bargeman, and welcome to The Edge of Every Day. Are you a change maker? Do you walk between worlds, between cultures, between systems? If you answered yes to any of these questions, The Edge of Every Day is the place for you. In a nutshell, this podcast is about pushing boundaries and exploring rough edges. Through conversations and shared stories with friends and colleagues, it's my hope that we can begin to understand our edges. And what I mean by edges is those places where we are fearful, those places where we are resistant to change, those places where paradox and contradicting identities live in our beliefs and our understandings, both individually and collectively. We live in edgy, challenging times. We cannot keep looking away from the ugly, from the difficult, and silence is no longer an option. Life isn't black or white, it's both, and I wanna talk about that. I wanna stay present to the tension of paradox, and I want to engage in the hard conversations. I wanna explore the rough edges between our light-filled brilliance and our dark, shadowy corners. Because the more we recognize our own edges and get real about them, the more we can help others to do the same. And that, I fully believe, can help to change the world. So thanks for tuning in. Today, we are live in the hive for our fifth episode at MaximizeU.life titled, The Ragged Edges of Hope, Climate Peril, and Presence Activism. For our last episode, I asked these questions. When did we humans start to separate ourselves from nature? How can we find our way back to nature to reweave ourselves back into a kin-centric relationship with all of life on earth? Now, in this episode, we take these questions farther because climate change, climate peril, is demanding our attention and dramatically reconfiguring our relationship with nature. So how do we navigate the edges between crippling climate anxiety and informed activism? What's the edge between hope and denial? My guest today can help us to explore and perhaps even answer those questions. Lynn Sedgemore is a certified coach, founder of the Goddess Luminary Wheel Teachings, poet, interfaith minister, priestess, healer, non-executive, thought leader, and Enneagram teacher. Lynn is chair of the Glastonbury Town Deal, 
leading an investment of nearly 25 million pounds for the town. She's a certified coach and organizational community consultant working freelance with CEOs, chairs, senior leaders, and teams from the education, faith, charity, health, community, sport, and private sectors. Her organizations have won numerous national and international awards, including the International Spirit at Work Award and the British Diversity Award. She was awarded the CBE, standing for Commander of the Order of the British Empire in 2004 for services to further education. She founded the Goddess Luminary Leadership Wheel Teachings and authored the Goddess Luminary Leadership Wheel book in 2021. She's a published poet, priestess of Avalon and ordained interfaith minister with One Spirit UK. She was a member of the UK World Conference for Religions and Peace and the UK Interfaith Network. Her new book is Presence Activism, a Profound Antidote to Climate Anxiety. Welcome, welcome. It is such an honor to welcome you, Lynn Sedgemore, to the edge of every day. It's great, great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, a complete, complete pleasure. Well, for our listeners, I have to let you know that I have had the glorious Lynn Sedgmore on my my podcast when it was formerly at talkradio.nyc. And I listened in on that conversation and just laughed my, I, it was so much fun, the conversation that I had with you. It was a blast. So those listening in, you can go to talkradio.nyc and it is episode 42. You can also go to my YouTube channel, Sandra Bargeman, On the Edge of Every Day, and you can see it there as well, listen into it there as well. But um I like to, as to start with, uh, with so my listeners know how I know how I know they clearly already know that I I previously know you, but um, but I want to fill them in a little bit more because I'm so excited that this happened. So I got to know Lynn through the Edgewalker community, which and you all know that the Edgewalker Academy, Edgewalker International Academy, is now on MaximizeU.life. So check that out while you're on the website. But I met Lynn through that. I saw her speaking in one of the Edgewalker cafes and I was completely enthralled with her and just totally loved, loved her vibe, et cetera, et cetera. And I asked her to be on my show and we formed a bit of a friendship and had a fantastic conversation. And then she told me all about the gorgeous conference in Glastonbury. And I went this last August and got to meet Lynn in person. That was spectacular. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a great time. Lynn has been involved in that for a long time. It was the 28th Goddess uh, Conference, and you can check that out online. I felt very called to the land, which I feel is... Um, is so much a part of this conversation, Lynn. Um, the re one of the reasons that I agreed to go to the conference and to go to Glastonbury was because in my talking with you, I felt really, and I discovered this literally in my conversation with you, Lynn, that I was called to, and I remember tearing up with you 
in one of our Zoom conversations that I felt very called for the first time in my life to the land, which to me felt different than just a kinship with nature. I mean, it was a, 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 a please come here now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you Last- experience? Yeah, I'm sure. Lastonbury was calling you. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure lots and lots of people feel that. And and I, I suspect a lot of people that have come to live there have, have felt that as well. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a sacred vortex of primarily of spirituality of the land of, yeah. Shamanic pagan goddess spirituality of the land, you know, which of course is, and, and, and Mr. Christianity, sort of the, the confluence there. Yeah. Sure. which was why I was I rest assured I was called there okay all right so um before we get into your incredible book which is going to be the focus of our our, this conversation I I have a couple of questions now that I I ask all of my guests so we're going to start with those so um what identity do you Lynn Sedgemore lead with I lead do I lead with Okay. Um, Oh, I love that question. Um, I didn't see that one coming. Well, my, one of my spiritual practices is to keep asking myself, who do I take myself to be in the moment? Mm. Yeah. It's a genuine question. I I mentioned it in the book. This is through the Ridwan uh, school. That's where I learned it. So particularly if my ego defenses are up, you know, the question, who do I take myself to be? And in the book, I talk about eight different senses of self that you can have. So um, the answer is I try and lead with my, if you like, most liberated, most expansive sense of self, but I can't always, because if I'm in some um, reactivity um, to something or someone, Oh no, that never happens for us, right? <laughs> then, <laughs> then you lead with then a warrior. I'm taking myself to be Lynn Sedgemore with a hang-up about a particular ego fixation that I want or need that I want met. So, so my answer is, I try and lead with my most expansive, integrated, liberated self uh, as best I can most of the time. And I still, I'm an Enneagram 8, so I still get a bit of a kick out of being naughty or being outrageous or not behaving as well as I should. (laughs) Don't you? I do. do. (laughs) But I notice, I'm aware of it. It's like, oh. I'm being naughty here and I'm really Oh, which I totally, totally love. And um just FYI, listeners, I discovered Enneagram. I knew about Enneagram. I shouldn't say I discovered it because yeah. I knew about it as an assessment tool, but I had never taken the test until I did research on Lynn Sedgemore and her complete and utter love and geekiness around it, as she said, <laughs> and uh, which I adored. So I took the test and I found out <laughs> <laughs> I was also a naughty eight, a very intense, and we had such a great laugh around it. And Lynn was so generous in in doing some teachings around that with me and really exploring what it was like to be an eight. <laughs> and it was certainly, I mean, I was aware of these things, but it was certainly eye-opening and and the naughtiness and the um and I would have to say I'm I'm with you in that. You know, I used to answer this question and say I lead with the comedian, which could be could it could be said, and I do that probably when or the naughty part of me, when I'm feeling um, 
maybe I need some safety around um, or I'm triggered around um, spiritual wisdom, the, my wisdom presence, et cetera. If I'm, if I'm knocked out of that, if I'm knocked out of my edge walker capability, then I'm going to. And I think I also, and, and tell me if this feels true to you, do the naughty, I feel I've used that as a, um, as a mask, as a safety mechanism also oh. throughout that, that I learned that as a young person around my family that, um, you know, that I could do, I could use that. Yeah. Humor for me was a way of, of kind of compensating for things yeah, and, absolutely. and covering things up and being strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, what, what I can get most caught up is leading with the strong, capable self who can deal with anything and, and yeah. high vulnerability. That's, that's right. been a very common place for me, the person who's strong and, you know, whatever it is, I can handle it, et cetera, et cetera. And I've had to learn to be vulnerable and to ask yeah. for help, uh, et cetera, et cetera. All I can of do those it. things. Yeah. yeah, yeah All yeah. of those ways that leadership is emerging. Yeah vulnerability the strength and the power in that absolutely I would say I ditto because I just want to be you <laughs> um okay so my second question is what worlds do you walk between <laughs> lots lots and I've been doing mm. it since child really um mm. at the moment I walk between running a government funded project which is if anybody knows spiral dynamics it's very blue and hierarchical and process and bureaucratic um i walk in the glastonbury community which is kind of very spiritual and mystical uh, and anti-authority so that's an yes. interesting um i walk uh i work still work in the college world which is a professional mm. world um, I think in terms of uh, Glastonbury, where I, which I love, um, I walk in mythical and legend worlds, the spiritual side of it, mm. the civic side of it. To be honest, I, I walk in my family world. Um, I'm a grandmother, mm. a stepmother, a mother. So I think my whole life has been one of walking in many different worlds. And as a working class kid who was very bright in terms of school success, I had to learn, you know, from the day I went to the grammar school, um, I learned that there were so many different worlds. Um, and mm. I enjoy walking in different worlds. I love diversity. Mm. I love differences. I love idiosyncrasy. You know, I look quite conventional, actually, um, but I'm not. We, we held an interfaith um, unity day in Glastonbury and we had sort of different speakers on all the different faces. And somebody came up to me and said, I think that's what the inside of your head looks like, Lynn. Oh, yeah, I've experimented with that. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's the inside of your head, isn't it? And that, again, that's another expression of in my head, I'm walking in all different worlds as well. I, I've always been like that. Always. Mm. I think I was born. Yeah. 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 Just popped out of the womb with that curiosity about life. Mm. Oh my, I can certainly relate. And I'm sure it was a handful as, as a child. 
um, where we want, where our parents want us to fit into boxes and which gets us back to the, the creating the mask of comedy and, and humor. Yeah. To navigate those. Well, then um, I'm going to dive right into um, Lynn. We're here to talk about this incredible book that I've had the, the honor to uh, get a leg up on, and uh, it is not yet out for purchase. It is out for pre-order, and um, but I have been able to get a leg up on reading it. Here it is, Presence Activism by Lynn Sedgmore, and I'm going to read um, a endorsement of it that I think um, really expands well upon the I thought I had it marked but I don't so we're going to go back in and we're going to find it expands upon um really highlights the 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 edge of every day of the book and the edge of every day of Lynn Sedgmore so I'll read it and you can make that decision for yourself we are in climate peril and time is not on our side Presence Activism is the book we all need right now in this present moment. Lynn Sedgmore herself walks the delicate balance of powerful mystic with her rich and depth-filled presence wisdom that edges up with her fierce, informed activist warrior, dramatically mirroring both the poignantly regenerative and ragingly ferocious edges of Mother Earth right now. Rich with resources to motivate and mobilize the reader, Lynn gives us a map to deepen and expand our presence to move beyond our overwhelming anxiety and crippling fear into activating our courage, putting the climate and ecological crisis on everyone's lips and to taking action. Well, that pretty much, that that lays out a beautiful path for us to walk in that uh, Lynn herself um, is both a, a climate activist warrior and a deep spiritual wisdom carrier. So um, you've been a lifelong activist, Lynn. Um, how has that changed over your lifetime? and brought you into your understanding of presence as an antidote? I, I became a second wave, wave feminist uh, in the 70s, mm -hmm. uh, when I was mm -hmm. 17, and uh, was active all the way through. I still identify, um, obviously I'm more of an intersectional feminist now, but yes, mm -hmm. um, and I'm an XR rebel and have been on the climate protests um and support locally the work that we're doing for me the whole issue for me and for many other activists is burnout yeah. and finding ourselves overgiving, overdoing in a kind of in a battle in lots of battles um you know and fights righteous fights but but fights inside fights outside might literally you know um possibly getting arrested and all of that so what I've had to learn particularly in relation to climate because I was more a climate 
in denial of the impact of it, you know, the big strong word, you know, not really letting in the fullness mm. of what we're doing to Mother Earth. And to oh, completely. And I to think that- most of the people listening in would would put themselves in that category today. Yes. So, so my my path, we each find our own way is to find ways of managing my anxiety, breaking through the armor, if you like, of my denial, Mm. to Mm. say, how do I? Being a feminist was pretty straightforward for me. It was pretty clear, et cetera, et cetera. I have found climate activism and the way that I am able and can make choices has been different. I have needed presence. So the way is to get an inner strength that is built on presence and being in the moment and acting from that place. That's the only way I personally can cope with the horror of the, the deep climate peril we're in. Absolutely. So let's, before we get into um, the presence flower and some of the, and and the responses, let's break apart more thoroughly. What is presence for the, for people who may feel very confused about what is this presence? What talk to us about that? Well, chapter two is all on presence. And I think my contribution to the field of presence is that I've I've looked at it from different perspectives, from what's professional presence, because there's a lot of work being done on charisma. Yes, um, indeed. How we present ourselves in the world. And yeah. it doesn't have any spiritual connotation. And that's fine, you know, it's, but it doesn't. It's about uh, how do I um, present myself and am present and an exploration of that so we can most people might access presence through the sense of professional presence yeah. and in a nutshell that you can be close to somebody physically although you can have it but you feel something that they have and yes. feels positive yes and it affects you um so basically, that's what presence is. It's like you're in their presence and it's an energy, an impact that it has on other people. Yeah. So so there's that kind of presence. And some people, mm-hmm. it's not just charisma. You can have a really quiet, calm yes. presence. So Indeed, that radiates powerfully. So of places, people that actually... You have felt something, an an Hmm. impact. It can be an energy, it can be a feeling, but, oh, there's something more here. Something that, oh, yes. So I went for years and sat in the presence of spiritual gurus and spiritual people. Um, So that's what presence is. And it's really how do you gradually develop that this presence is outside but we also each have presence we are presence and the journey for me is from going to presence to go like oh here it is can I have some and receive presence to walking kind of alongside presence and then gradually realizing oh I am present we're all present (laughs) yes indeed how do I develop and be 
as present as possible. And another definition for many people, which Eckhart Tolle is probably the most popular today, but hundreds of people have written about it, is the presence of being in the moment, of mm-hmm. being here now, is that phrase. Yeah. Indeed. Yeah. Well, and I also, in when I am doing my checking in and really being present to myself and what's happening internally, it... In the quieting, it's the the connection, the the kin centric connection to all that is. It's the willingness. Now, I mean, that's you know that that's after much work on this, but but there is even quickly going internally. There's a connection to a sense of being a part of the interconnectedness of life, and that. If you can get quiet and go in that, be here now and go within, you can, and and that is getting back, rekindling our our connection to nature. That that is the definition. The the being a part of reconnecting to the kin-centric connection of all that is is yeah. is that. Yeah, the reason I talk about the different kinds of presence and break. Them yes, down, I talk about nature presence and. The, because we can each experience it in our in own different ways. So for many some people, pathways, there's many different ways. And I don't want to say one is better than the other. So for some people, it's never a transpersonal. It's right. they're totally kind of from within themselves and they feel the presence and the connection with the land, which is really, really strong. For, for others, it's transpersonal. There is Indeed. another a sense of something more than myself. Indeed. And they may interpret it, which I've always done, through a religious frame or a spiritual mm-hmm. frame. A mystical, right. Yeah. So for me, it felt like there was the divine, and which has taken different totally. shapes. Something more. And I've, I had a relationship with it for years, and I still like having a love affair with the divine, while at the same time now knowing that I am the divine. We are all the divine, you know? Mm. I am that. We are that. We, So that in that sense, for some of us, if you want the technical terms, I'm pantheistic. So I'm basically a panentheistic, sorry, panentheistic. So I can do the, the kind of the theism or the sense of something more than as well as oh, the right. feeling connection the it's me so yeah which is really which is my just I haven't worked to get there it's that's how I experience it and yes other, exactly so for me <laughs> presence is instead of using um, a god or a loaded word mm. but some people will talk about the presence of god some people talk about the present you see but I just wanted yeah. presence as a totally inclusive embracing words. invitational indeed indeed well and i love the 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 way that you experience it is so the edge of every day it is the ultimate edge the edge between yeah. you know and there is i love no- it <laughs> yeah. and that right and there is no edge because we are both yeah those are the yeah. the ultimate two worlds to walk between uh for me personally um okay so um i, I love organizing that folks when you read this book your mind is going to be blown it is a masterful opus so to organize all this into a little 45 minute chat uh sure 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 
Uh, there was so many things, and we've touched on the presence flower and the many ways of understanding and connecting uh, to presence. I want to touch on, and I loved this because this is so, when I, I've had other um, climate, I'm, for those listening in, I'm a climate reality leader, and I've had other uh, climate uh, people on my show and in a variety of ways, people who are artists and are working on uh, climate change through their artistry and trying to uh, engage people emotionally through their art to take action. And always in every conversation, I bump into this notion of how do we keep people hopeful and engaged in taking action? And I get a little uh, triggered um, and into my warrior with, um, uh, I, I don't think people are fully understanding and I uh, we have to move past this notion of, I, I, I think we're doing just fine with it. We're, we're in peril. I, I want people to move past their sense of, I'm hopeful and I'm recycling. I think people need to get into a bigger understanding of what that is. That's me personally. I want to push people forward into a, a greater response, if you will. So you've got three levels of responses that you've done fantastic uh, research into. And folks, again, there's there are many, many resources and many people that are woven into this book. Um, that you can, readings and uh, thought processes that you can research. But there are three levels of responses that 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 uh, Lynn talks about in her book, mitigation and adaptation, number one. And number two, deep adaptation. And number three, extinction. So speak to us about the three of those um, and yeah. where you fall in all of that, all of those responses. Yeah, well, they, those are standard in the field. Those that's yes, from indeed, analysis of the field. Um, let me just start with the hope thing. I and I say categorically, it's on page eighteen. I've had to redefine my relationship with hope um, in relation yeah. to this because I'm a natural. I used to call myself a pathological optimist. Um, so yeah, I'm right there with you. Yeah. So basically, I had to really, really research the field and get my head around it and really work it through for myself. So mm. as I looked at the mitigation and adaptation, I, you know, I read different views on that. And really, I thought to myself, no, uh, we're blowing in the wind here. And particularly right. so for our listeners, what is mitigation and adaptation? It's uh, sort of so this... adaptation is, is where, where we actually take measures um, to adapt. Um, but you still... And mitigation um, is is how you 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 reduce it so it can be technically or different ways, but a lot of the traditional mitigation and adaptation methods are actually creating things that can be worse longer term because Indeed. chemical solutions or mm -hmm. things like that. So They're still very connected to capitalism. This, this end, and I was just going to say, and it's really oh. still seeped in capitalism. Oh. So mostly they're being influenced by politics, by economics, by big companies not wanting to lose their profits, by short-term thinking. 
So it's almost like they are reinventing it to fit their own ego needs of greed, usually greed and exploitation continuing. So the more I went into that, I thought, oh, this looks on the surface as if it's possible. But actually, most of this is a bit of a con, really. And, and if you look at the last cop, I mean, you couldn't. Yes. Make it, oh, my goodness. Yeah. You couldn't make it up, you know, um, <laughs> no, you couldn't write and, it. So as I look through that, I looked at all that and I go, you know, go into all the different ones and talk about where different people stand on that. And then really, I'm a deep adapter. So really, I myself, I'm positioned with deep adaptation, the work of Jen Bendel, which is oh. really saying we've got to wake up and face the fact that we, society is going to collapse. There will it's be collapsing. collapse. What, what shape or form that takes, how long it takes, we don't really know. But it's going to happen. So let's start to adapt in a more fundamental way yes. to prepare for the future. And, and it's not an individualistic approach. It's actually saying, how do we work together in communities? So you may go off and set up a community that's self-sufficient. So it's about yes. food security, being self-sufficient. We're looking in Glastonbury at how do we develop a food security? How do we respond? Mm. So we are working from a deep adaptation perspective. It says that we have to look at the system that we're in because the whole yes. capitalist and current system is going to fall to pieces eventually. might be very slowly. The tipping points, but some oh. tipping points, theories and approaches will say it can happen kind of very quickly. Play. Accumulate and then tip literally. So I write about all of that. So I'm in the deep adaptation. So how do we start to adapt in a way that mm. we can continue? It'll be a very different life, but we can yes, continue. Indeed. But we can continue. Is at the extreme end that says we're all going to be extinct. You know, everything's going to be extinct. There'll be very, very little left. Um, yeah. at all and I don't I'm not convinced of that because I think humanity will continue in different shapes or forms so that's really so where hope sits for me because if you're not careful in mitigation adaptation you end up saying no it will be all right that's what this you know it will we, we actually we could just change it you know you could just change it it could be whereas deep adaptation is saying no it, it's going to be really <laughs> difficult face up to it and do Get what real. we can it's 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 we can all do something we can't mm -hmm. solve it but we can yeah. adapt to it in a deep level which enables us to find new ways of co-creating community looking after each other you know and the worst may happen i'm obsessed with watching you know um apocryphal films and all of that oh yeah you know, um, and we'll see the best and the worst of humanity. Um, I'm sure about that. But doing what you can um, within that context. Yeah. yeah. There is a, a sense of the place beyond hope, which I that really addresses that you have in the book, Margaret Wheatley. Um, yeah. This, that this without the filter of hope and fear spontaneous right action can emerge. I loved that. I'm going to go back and read some of her work, but back yeah. to Jem Bendel, um, this um, 
I love that you included the five R questions. Yeah. yeah. And those were so fantastic. And I mean, a whole, a whole podcast interview with you could be done on just those. I was particularly drawn to the fourth one because which, uh, so these are four um, R words that take you through um, if you are in um, your in deep adaptation as Lynn is, as I am, um, then you can, it, these questions, five R questions invite you in. I'm just going to, and those are on page 16 when you get the book. <laughs> but the one I want to focus in on is the reconciliation uh, piece, because this really speaks to some of the anger that I've had and the triggering that I've had to uh, continually work through. And I by no means have done it fully, but uh, reconciliation with what or whom shall we make peace as we awaken to our mutual mortality as it relates to climate peril. And it really brought up some powerful anger that I have towards people who in my own life, in my own inner circles, um, who have absolutely been opposed to climate change, called it a hoax, uh, refused to do, you know, do everything but get on board with making wise decisions around um, action. Um, you know, I'm going to have a bigger car. I'm going to use uh, more of this. I'm going to do more of that. I'm not going to do, and you know, recycling is ridiculous, you know, on and on and on. And and the anger that I feel towards corporations and towards, you know, patriarchal society and having really? to, you know, just the rage feminine in blah, and having to, you know, that's why this presence work is so extremely powerful, Lynn. And, um, and I'm just so excited for the listeners to get their hands on this book, to all of these elements and ways of facing these emotions and facing where we're going as things change dramatically. Absolutely. As I believe I mean, they are. I have to practice presence every time the UK Prime Minister comes on because it's absolutely disgusting what's happening in the UK, the choices they're making around oil and other yeah. things. And I do, I, I, the anger and the rage that I feel of the yeah. lack of caring, um, it's, it's just nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, time do we have? So um, you've touched upon community somewhat. Um, so what you know, I'm you know, I'm inclined to say, what is the role of presence in the healing of the world? That's a rather large question. <laughs> what is the role of community in all of this? You've touched upon some of that and in addressing this deep adaptation. And it makes me think about your article on Leaderful that I reread. By the way, Lynn's, before you dive in, just quickly, Lynn's website has um many many resources and articles um not only ones that she's written but articles by people who have written on her work so what what do you what what's the role what's the emerging role of community that 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 we are feeling organically 
I, I mean, those two words, organic and community are really important. The way forward, I'm clear in here, I'm saying the way forward is to work together in local communities. Bingo. To ensure literally resilience and food security and to mm -hmm. be able to live into the future. And most of that is growing your own. <laughs> One yes. of the things that we're funding in Glastonbury Town Deal is a, is a regenerative farm. Um, oh. that actually can provide food. The village I live in, we've got um, Plotgate, which is another way, another community that's growing food. So that whole thing about food resilience, finding your energy, finding ways of working together in a local community. We are suffering floods literally here in the UK at the moment. Again, that's happening um, Glastonbury and the, certainly the Southwest, um, as well as other places. How do you manage the floods? How do you manage the impact on the land, on the growth, on the crops, on the things that we, you know, so all of those solutions can only be made if communities come together. We mm -hmm. just had a community gathering, people's assemblies, um, we're holding community gatherings and people's assemblies in Glastonbury around deep adaptation, around the impact and preparing. Um, and we get quite hysterical, you know, when you're laughing because it's like it's just so dire and you kind of look at it that way, you know, it's like yeah, you where something will be, you know, our levels will be completely flooded in these timescales. So you have to have laughter and you have to have humour and you have to be able to work together with it because it just hits a point where you go, yeah. it's too much, can't cope with it and alleviate. So for me and for many others, you can only really do that collectively. The individuality, Indeed. yes, you can go off into the woods and be a prepper. That's another way of doing it. But for me to save us all, it's a collective community that's facing up to what can be done. Indeed. Uh, uh, indeed. You know, it's funny, during COVID, I really felt the call to an organic community in a way that I had never in my life. That was one of the great gifts for me personally. And I know that I'm not alone in that, that the, the, the call forward to share my voice in a bigger way for Mother Earth, the, the, the call towards a more organic organization of community. And, and part of that includes in my salon space, which um, I have shared with my listeners, I have on my, my during COVID, I, I turned my thousand square foot garage into a salon space in which we can have these difficult conversations. Ultimately, I'd love to be doing my podcast from there, which that time will come and we can live stream events as well. We've done climate cabaret there ways of bringing people to get theatrical ways. This is the great thing about uh, theater and climate. A friend of mine is a playwright who works. Yeah. It's only about climate change that she writes about. Um, and for those people listening in, her name is Chantal Bilidou, Arts and Climates Initiative. She runs in New York City. Um, but the power of bringing community together around theater to evoke emotion to uh, open the dialogue to get into communion about understanding uh, that our our interconnectedness with uh, not just that it exists but we need it to take action together absolutely yeah absolutely and we all respond differently I mean one thing I haven't mentioned yet is my granddaughters I've got granddaughters who were mm. 20 um they'll be 21 and 18 this year and 
how how we talk about how how do young people live with this? I'm I'm ancient, you know. Um, I'm at the end of my life. I want to live as long as I can, but I've had most of my life. Whereas young people having to live on a daily basis with this, mm. as well yeah. as a lot of economic issues and other things, um, it takes it's a different way of needing to be in the world. And that's why Indeed. I wanted to offer a model of potentially practicing presence. Um yeah to help and and some people have reviewed the book for me and and all of they're all saying they can take this into their professional life which i've been really delighted with yeah no this is a book for everyone so that this is a great segue into um people can pre-order this book now it is presence activism a profound antidote to climate anxiety by Lynn Sedgemore, and people can pre-order it. Um, tell us where. Uh, on Amazon. At the moment, it's just on Amazon um, because it's August. Uh, it will actually be available worldwide on Amazon. Um, I've managed to get some copies um, for the Glastonbury community because they're very keen to see it. Um, so yes, uh, Amazon is where it is at the moment for pre-ordering and then gradually online. Yeah. So we'll do a huge, the publisher will do a huge marketing campaign in relation to it. And I mean, I was really humbled by the endorsements. I was crying when they were coming back because you don't know when you've written something, you know, I knew it wasn't gobbledygook, but you don't really know until the feedback starts to come and I've been deeply humbled and moved and and to be able to make any kind of contribution around mm. climate change you know my heart just yearns for that um, yes. because as, as an older woman as a crone I wanted to give something back because my generation baby boomers has had a lot of benefits that new younger generations are not so it was the desire to help and support others um because this anxiety that many people are feeling is is debilitating it's really hard yeah i can't imagine being a young person in today's to your point about your granddaughters and that was one of my questions to you is is what 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 are you seeing and i know you're also protesting and and extinction rebellion by the way that's another resource everyone extinction rebellion um are you actively protesting and are you um your foot on the ground in terms of young people's anxiety yeah. But well, the last big, the big one that we did last April, um, I was mm -hmm. in and I talk to the young people when I'm there because young, of course. Young, young people who are leaving their jobs, leaving university because they get it and they want to give their all to it. I have nothing but admiration for them. So yes, they're in deep it adaptation. <laughs> they're, it's that they're making it their lives work and they're putting mm. themselves at risk, all these different, and I go through the different forms of, of activism. And I'm yes. pleased to say Gail Bradbrook here, who was nearly, who's been in a court case, they gave her a suspended sentence. So, you know, it's it's a courageous thing to be an activist all over the world. You know, we mm -hmm. live in the West where the, we are able to protest. You can be put to death in many countries for even thinking some of these thoughts. But it is getting harder. It's being criminalised. Climate activism is gradually being criminalised over here. 
Um, so yes, so literally there's going to be an action soon. <laughs> um, the emails are coming through literally now um, about preparing for uh, action. But the nature of the protest is having to change because of the new laws that are being brought in. Um, but the April one was magnificent, about 100,000 people, and all the different climate groups came together and joined together. They talk about community. It was, again, it was a bringing together and embracing of all the different climate groups working together for this big one last April. So there are other things uh, that are being planned at the moment. Yeah. Spectacular. So the book is, uh, as you said, can be pre-ordered on Amazon and um, it will be available at in August uh, on a variety of different platforms as well. And can they find it on your website? Not at the moment. No, no in August. Yeah, I need to update my website to put all this in. Yes. Oh, don't, yes. don't we all need to update our website? <laughs> but ironically, but, yeah. it comes out in the America before UK. So it'll be... Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, and I plan on doing, because I'm lucky enough to have a copy of it, I'm planning on doing something over the summer with it, Lynn, with my local community, bringing oh. people together to discuss these. And um, so I'm I'm very excited to share that with you and with my community. Brilliant. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Again, folks, um, this book, Presence Activism, A Profound Antidote to Climate Anxiety. You can find Lynn at her website at Lynn, L-Y-N-N-E, Sedgmore, S-E-D-G-M-O-R-E dot C-O dot U-K is her website. Um, all you have, you can find her on LinkedIn. Are you on any other social media? Yeah, you're on Facebook. I'm on um, Facebook, yeah. Um, I'm not, reach, on not on Instagram. No. Right. Um, you can find her in those places. Reach out to her. Um, her other book is fantastic as well. Um, but this is really the book of the moment. This is the the extraordinary book of the moment. So thank you, Lynn Sedgmore, for coming on the edge of every day and speaking about this extraordinary book and and your experience with it and your wisdom in getting it out into the world, how we can all deal with the next layer of what we are about to face with climate peril. Thank you, because I feel this is the book my soul had to write. Or oh. the, the book that wrote itself from my soul, if you like. Yeah, there was something, there's something about presence for me that is such a wonderful thing. And to, you know, so thank you. So it is, oh. it is the book from my soul. I don't think I'll have another book. I, I've got two books that I'm working on, but this is the one that I think is my, was written yeah. from, from the, from the your soul the depth of who you are. Well, you know, one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and we'll just go over a little time. Um, did you learn anything unexpected? Did you learn anything surprising about who you are when you wrote this book, hearing you say you wrote it, it was your soul writing it? Yeah, I think, I think it was really another layer of, cause I'm always learning about myself and there's always another mm -hmm. layer 
Whereas this layer was really understanding how I needed to protect myself because of just how much it hurts my soul oh. that we are a generation, my generation, that can harm the planet so much for such greed. And it was almost like the pain. I wrote a poem for a young lad that we had here who came to stay with us, and it was an apology. So there was something about fully allowing just how awful it is and still being able, because of presence, to continue to well, contribute. Yeah. yeah. And to, yeah. Oh, I feel that so deeply in your sharing. And the, yes, and the, the, the willingness to stay engaged and to be and to fully hold that, yes, we can create solutions, yeah. that they are emerging as we speak. Um, I had Eleanor Lacan on um, Solutions Summit talking about climate change solutions that are actually hap happening that we aren't always as in the public aren't always hearing oh, wow. about so sure. so it's a real uh, the the tension of paradox again to hold both that the the deep grief with the real sense of knowingness that indeed we have it to create these solutions and that they in fact are being created yeah so thank you again. I'm going to close out with, you mentioned this in your book and uh, John O'Donohue is um, somebody that I love and, and read often. And so I was thrilled to see this in the back of your book. It's called A Blessing for Presence by John O'Donohue. May you awaken to the mystery of being here and enter the quiet immensity of your own presence. May you have joy and peace in the temple of your senses. May you receive great encouragement when new frontiers beckon. May you respond to the call of your gift and find the courage to follow its path. May the flame of anger free you from falsity. May warmth of heart keep your presence aflame and anxiety never linger about you. May your outer dignity mirror an inner dignity of soul. May you take time to celebrate the quiet miracles that seek no attention. May you be consoled in the secret symmetry of your soul. May you experience each day as a sacred gift woven around the heart of wonder. And so it is. Blessed be. Blessed be. Thank you again, Lynn Sedgemore, and thank you to all of you for listening in today. Remember, you are always at the edge of the miraculous. Until we speak again, take good care. Take care. Thank you. Thank you.